Hello, and welcome to Wavelength by Resonance, a podcast where we aim to bring you the biggest news in tech from the last two weeks and what headlines to watch out for next. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Wavelength by Resonance. We're joined here today by Laura. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing well, thank you, Dan. How are you? I'm doing excellently. The rains have finally fallen in London, and I am feeling spectacular. This is a very UK-heavy news week in tech, so without further ado, let's get into our first story of the day. And that is Meta's mouthy new chatbot, which is bashing Facebook, but paradoxically loves Elon Musk. This is Blenderbot 3, a new AI chatbot from Meta themselves, who we seem to be talking about every week at this point. And it was released a couple weeks ago, and in that time, it's just been running its mouth, and the press have been paying attention. This is the most advanced model that Meta's rolled out today, and Meta's basically letting it speak to the public just to train it up a bit more. Unfortunately, that means the public can see what's going on, so they're being given ammunition when it says something dodgy. A BuzzFeed data scientist called Max Wolf asked what it thought of Mark Zuckerberg, and <laughs> apparently it had, let's say, mixed feelings. So apparently, while it didn't have any strong thoughts, it said, his business practices are not always ethical. And just because these are funny, I'm going to keep going with them. The BBC found that it said, he did a terrible job at testifying before Congress. It makes me concerned about our country. Also, our country is divided and he didn't help with that at all. His company exploits people for money and he doesn't care. It needs to stop. So potentially not what you want your latest piece of tech to be saying about the CEO, right? No, definitely not. And it gets even worse. It told a Wall Street Journal journalist that Donald Trump will serve a second term and always will be president. Yeah, that's definitely not ideal. Um, I feel like at the moment with Facebook and Meta's sort of past reprimands and history for, for spreading misinformation and mm. having that sort of controversy over mm. political figures like Trump and portraying him in a certain positive light, yeah. I feel like it's interesting to see these specific questions that are being asked of the bot, especially as social media is becoming more involved in politics and we're seeing oh, yeah. it as more of a political platform. I think Meta need to really tread lightly if, if they're going to avoid <laughs> some scrutiny on discussing politics and especially if the, the bot's quite wordy with, um, yeah, with political issues. The questions that people are asking the chatbot are not just a reflection of the kind of al algorithmic data they're training it with. It's a reflection of the people asking the questions. Yeah, yeah. So when people are asking what the chatbot thinks about Mark Zuckerberg, it's because they're trying to trying to see what's underpinning the algorithm. Exactly. Trying to get a reaction out of the chatbot, I think, um, which is obviously expected. But I think there needs to be some updates here to, to get it more a bit more data and a bit more focused, I think. Yeah, and obviously they wouldn't have this open to the public if they didn't have to. Yeah. Because they know the risks, but they really need this training data from the amount of people asking questions. And right now it's only US focused. And given the, uh, the amount of headlines coming out, the company <laughs> might be uh, delaying the rollout to other countries a little bit. Definitely. Sort of putting in potential safeguards and stuff like that, making sure it doesn't say anything too bad. Yeah. Because according to Meta, the chatbot can discuss basically any topic, which... You can't moderate that. That's no. an absolute nightmare. No, that's very dangerous territory. I think they do have a PR weak spot at the minute, mm. which um, I think they need to. They really need to address whilst they're still allowing the public to, to chat with the chatbot. 
Yeah, it's definitely a PR vulnerability, you know, as we say in the biz. But um, I want to read out a funny quote from a Meta spokesperson. Everyone who uses Blenderbot is required to acknowledge they understand it's for research and entertainment purposes only, that it can make untrue or offensive statements, and that they agree to not intentionally trigger the bot. You know, good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like what Google said about Dali too, except Google seems to have done a better job actually moderating what that comes out with. Yeah, it seems that they asked them to not intentionally trigger the bot and everybody yeah, has 100% straight away. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see where that's going on, see how Blenderbot uh, rolls out over coming weeks. Our second topic is the NHS 111 cyber attack. So basically, the rundown of this is on Thursday the 4th of August at 7am, Advanced, which is an NHS partner firm, noticed a cyber attack on the 111 service. Obviously, UK natives know the non-emergency emergency number. Uh, and initial comments by spokespeople kind of played it down. They said there was minimal disruption. But further reporting from our wonderful press uh, revealed that it was actually a ransomware attack and that patient data could have been taken. Internal memos have showed that a number of important services had the software taken completely offline. But as of yet, no attacker has been named. Now, obviously, we need to understand the wider context surrounding this incident. There have been a lot of cyber attacks against the NHS in recent weeks and months. The data shows that about 80% of NHS trusts have faced record levels of cyber attacks since the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, and as it as it recovers from the COVID-19 pandemic and crisis as well, you know, mm. we're getting this rising tide of emissions um, and the NHS is becoming more and more sort of vulnerable, yeah. especially as the government is promising to fully modernise the NHS and, you know, put it put it under these digital standards, we start to see an increased risk of, of cyber attacks um, as more information is being is being put online. And as we start to see this sort of space being moved into the public cl cloud, I think we will start to see more cyber attacks and more risks of, of things like this happening. Yeah, just on that point about the, the risks of moving to the public cloud, some of you may remember the WannaCry attack on the NHS in 2017. Uh, a Defence.com report shows how adoption of public cloud services does create risk and leads to kind of a false sense of security, as well as how open these cloud providers are to attack. Uh, if you want to see more, check out the show notes on our website where there's a, a full report there about WannaCry and future public cloud risks. Now, back to the 111 angle. Health officials have warned that this hack might create a three-week delay on doctors accessing patient records, which, you know, knowing the backlog as it is, will not make it better. And it's also made it impossible for thousands of hospital employees to access patient records, notes, which obviously increases the chance of errors that could be deadly in the mm. end. And in some cases, and this is kind of chilling, NHS 111 employees have been forced to use pen and paper because everything is just so yeah. down the drain at the moment. Not ideal. Not ideal at all. <laughs> now, government ministers have been coordinating a resilience response to kind of deal with these kinds of cyber attacks. Given the gap between initial comments by the NHS and Advanced and what national publications picked up later on, expect to see more information about the extent of this breach in the news in coming weeks. 
And watch out for any announcements on a strategy to deal with this, perhaps if there's any new government cybersecurity partners, for example. And according to computing, uh, the attack is still ongoing. The attack has made demands, but Advanced will not tell anyone how much it's cooperating. Yeah, I think the announcements on their side have been, been quite quiet, which suggests it is still ongoing, or maybe they're trying to wait for the story to die down a little bit from a media perspective. Um, I do think we will hear more on this story, but I think, as you say, as the digital sort of space within the NHS expands, I have a feeling we're going to see more and more stories of this nature and, st- and you know, we're going to need a response at some point about how they're going to deal with, with cyber attacks of this nature. Yeah, 100%. In terms of security, it may be a case of trying to get your, your own house in order before you start opening right. it to the public. Third point today is Rishi Sunak, Tory leadership hopeful, wanting AI in schools. Now, following his proposed plans to phase out university degrees that don't prioritise earning potential, uh, Prime Ministerial candidate Rishi Sunak wants to see more AI used in the classroom. And he's basically saying we should use AI and digital teaching resources to kind of augment teachers' efforts in a hybrid learning context. A lot of buzzwords in this, not going to lie. <laughs> But he's uh, basically trying to focus on pushing students to pursue careers in tech. And while that might be helpful as a teaching assistant, AI, that is, uh, experts are saying, it's not going to suddenly fix, you know, all these issues like teacher shortages, budget shortages. And you kind of need to have a wider long term view of things. Now, Sunak has also said that he wants to create a Russell group of high-performing technical institutions, basically giving apprentices access to a university-level education in specific fields, including technology. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for it. Some of our recent discussions with um, Samba Nova Systems, we, we, you know, we've talked about AI companies and how, you know, despite having the top software and design talent, sometimes you know, you also require knowledge to be brought in through other avenues to help them create these these problem-solving techniques. Mm. Um, I think Sunak's vocation-specific ideas could be effective in some scenarios, and I do see the benefits of that, but I, I do think it's a very narrow-minded way of thinking, and I don't know if having a Russell group of tech institutions mm. <laughs> is, is the best way forward. Well, yeah, it's sort of like, it's this kind of oxymoron. You're trying to open access while also creating an exclusive group. Right. It's kind of a weird contrast. Yeah. But yeah, just in general, I feel like Sunak's thinking here is a little parochial, trying to force this technology into scenarios where it's not going to do the most good. But looking at the specifics, in any kind of future implementation, there is a few things the government could try. Uh, And that's learner centre tools, kind of directly helping students in their education kind of like a a virtual TA. You can also help teachers monitor students' performance, their progress. Obviously, risks are pretty manifold, including inaccuracy, badly recorded data, and the kind of knock-on effect to pupils' future prospects. And speaking of those future prospects, another thing they can do is to support admin processes like admissions. And obviously, that is hugely risky. Mm. And... You know, it leaves the door open for lawsuits if it goes wrong, let alone how it will affect lives. Looking at how this is going to influence the news cycle going forward, Sunak is in a battle with Liz Truss for Tory party leadership and prime ministership. But recent polls show Truss well ahead. I think 22 points last time I looked. Mm. Thanks in part to that leaked video that I think everyone in the UK has seen. 
uh, where Sunak talks about diverting funding from deprived areas to go to conservative heartlands with pride. He seems, you know, very glad about that. And while this trust has a, a much less strong focus on AI and technology, we will probably expect to see uh, this proposal fading out of the news cycle as time goes on. Yeah, I think just because we haven't seen it formally costed or, you know, any any specific plans, um, I don't mm. think it's likely to come to any fruition in the near future. But yeah, I mean, it, we come towards a society, you know, we're seeing more casual AI usage. So it wouldn't surprise me if this does go somewhere, maybe not in the near future but yeah. sometime soon um, I can see the argument in favour of reducing you know a teacher's admin tasks yeah, um, and any sort of technological advance that helps monitor pupils progress um, mm. I feel like there's always something to be said for that but that said I do think there's a lot of risk as we've talked about when you're dealing with pupils grades their performance especially yeah. when you start to get to a higher education level and you're looking at university entries and things like that so I think if we're if we're going to take this seriously and look at it as a as a serious plan we need to see some specific proposals 100% the only way this is going to happen is if they pay attention to how it fits into the the wider context of education which may include giving teachers more money <laughs> <laughs> Our penultimate topic today, the Home Office has planned to force convicted migrants in the UK to use facial recognition, keeping track of them. Now, obviously a fraught topic, but basically this is about uh, a plan that came to light to force migrants convicted of a crime to use facial recognition up to five times a day. This daily monitoring scheme uh, will involve subjects wearing either an ankle tag or a facial recognition enabled smartwatch at all times. Uh, an organisation called Privacy International were the ones driving this story. They shared a freedom of information request with The Guardian and found a government contract for the electronic monitoring and biometric identification of specific cohorts, which was the exact wording, uh, awarded to this um, wearable device maker called Buddy in May of this year. So this has been around for a while, but just not obviously in the public eye until recently. And we have an interesting quote here from Monish Bhatia, a lecturer in criminology at Birkbeck in London. He calls it racial surveillance because basically it's only aimed at people who've already completed their sentences and been released back into the community. Uh, and let me read out a portion of this quote. First and foremost, people who are getting tagged have completed their punishment. They're tagged by the immigration system as an administrative measure. It's an intrusive technology of control with detrimental impact on migrant health and well-being. And he also goes on to say that the Home Office haven't provided any evidence to show why electronic monitoring is necessary or demonstrated that tags make individuals comply with immigration rules better. And he basically calls for humane, non-degrading, non-punitive community-based solutions. This is an interesting topic and one that I think will people's opinions will be divided pretty sharply by where they fall on immigration issues. So given the way this came out through an FOI request, this is clearly not something the government wanted out right away or this publicly. So watch how the general public reacts and that'll inform how swiftly the government acts on this proposal. With a Conservative Party kind of gearing up for the eventual general election, support from those tough on immigration might sway it for them, but they need to balance this against backlash from privacy groups. This project is due uh, to arrive in the autumn across the UK at an initial cost of £6 million. So watch for any delays they might take to get it out the news cycle while they put it in place and see how critics start to measure the cost effectiveness of the strategy when it is put in place. 
Yeah, I think it's obviously quite a political issue. Um, and as you say, I don't think that they wanted this in the public sphere quite yet. So maybe mm. that's why um, the, the press has been how it has been. But yeah, as, as you say, it, it feels to me like the Conservatives and actually all MPs are trying to tread very lightly mm. at the moment and yeah. you know keep controversy to a minimum. So I think it's something to keep an eye on. Um, and, you know, as we've commented, there isn't any real evidence backing this up yet. So maybe if we start to get some data to see why this proposals come come to light then it might be it might be something to look at a bit deeper um i think as you say there's going to be a lot of opinions from from a lot of different sides on this one hard to discuss impartially but uh in either case interesting to see where it goes mm. a final point today Beijing has detained Zhao Weigio, Chinese chip tycoon. And basically, Weigio ran Tsinghua Unigroup, uh, a recently collapsed state-backed chip manufacturing company for 10 years, and recently news outlets reported him missing. The story that emerged over time was that he was taken from his home by Chinese officials, and a Chinese news site said that he'd been out of touch since mid-July. Some say that his detainment might be related to his criticism of the government reorganising his company. And again, as with the NHS story, the wider context is important. There have been allegations of corruption in the Chinese government's push to expand their semiconductor manufacturing self-sufficiency kind of initiative, obviously linked into the US's passing of the chips bill a couple of weeks ago that we discussed on the podcast, kind of these huge superpowers vying for supremacy in the, in the tech space. And during an aggressive period of growth for Tsinghua, which would end up causing its modern day collapse with mounting debts, many critics did point to Zhao's government links and the self-sufficiency campaign, but he did always deny those links. However, when Xi Jinping took office, these connections to government, however tenuous they were, did end up souring. So journalists at Computing do suspect that Zhao will be one of the Chinese billionaires who, following their involvement in China's decade-long debt-fueled buying spree, have been imprisoned, mostly on corruption-related charges. So watch out for any further news on his condition, but most likely this story will disappear, much like Zhao himself. Yeah, it seems this isn't the first case where a high-profile billionaire business leader um, has been detained and um, it probably won't be the last. As you say, I don't think we have all the intel on this story. I'm not sure that we'll, we'll ever get it, but it does seem that during the company's restructuring, he was quite vocal about his opinions and hence why he's being detained. So it's possible that because of that, we'll hear more from this story. Yeah, 100%. It's one of those where we can't talk too much about it, but it's indicative of a larger trend kind of going on behind the scenes that maybe we don't see so much of in Western media outlets. Yeah. Thanks everyone for joining us today. It's been wonderful to have you as always. Same goes to you, Laura. Thank you. It's been great to be on. It's fantastic to have you. Always keen to see new people getting stuck in and hopefully we'll see you again one day. Thank you. Thanks everyone. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Keep your eyes on the news and we'll let you know what's coming up next. Bye. Bye. That was Wavelength by Resonance. Thank you for tuning in and please join us next time.